The passage today is from John, the 20th chapter, verses 19 through 31, and this morning I'll be reading from the Message Translation. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you, just as the Father sent me, I send you. Then he took a deep breath and breathed into them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He said, If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we saw the master. But he said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes, and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This time Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked doors, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Thomas said, My master, my God. Jesus said, So you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. There's an old tradition within Christianity, at least in the West, that the Sunday after Easter is called Holy Hilarity Sunday. I don't remember how they said that in Latin, but there is a Latin phrase for it. And it was a time when the Christian church could laugh at the devil and make jokes and dress ridiculously and laugh at the idea that and, and, and laugh at the reality that Jesus overcame sin and death and resurrection has the last word. And so Christians, especially in the medieval time, would come to church and share their best jokes. So tonight at the fire pit fellowship that we're going to be having, hopefully outside, um, if it's raining, we'll put the marshmallows and s'mores in the oven and Sing, sing some songs and tell some jokes in Rada Hall. You're all invited to come with your, your best jokes. Keep them clean. So I, I'm going to prime the pump. I have a, a science joke for you scientists out there um, from the periodic table of the elements, which you know are, um, some are helium, chlorine, magnesium, potassium, oxygen! That was the element of surprise. (laughs) Yeah, I know. 
So Jesus surprised his disciples. They were locked up in, in, behind locked doors, probably double-bolted, maybe triple-bolted locked doors because they were afraid. And Jesus looked at locked doors and maybe smiles, maybe laughs, as if to say, locked doors can't keep me away from people that I love. And Jesus surprises them by coming right through that locked door. I don't know how. And he says to them, peace be with you. And he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The disciples are behind locked doors. And in the Gospel of John, it says, for fear of the Jews. Now, anti-Semitism has had a long history within Christian circles, very often because of the Gospel of John, which was written in a time where Jewish authorities were saying to the early church, you've got to be Jewish to be followers of Jesus. And many in the Christian community in that first century, second century were saying, no, you don't have to be Jewish to become Christian. If you do, that's okay, but you can come to Christ as a Gentile. And there were some struggles over Jews and Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And so very often the language that is in the Gospel of John is easy to hear as anti-Semitic. When we put together the service for Good Friday, we changed some of the references to read Jewish authorities because that's really what was happening in Jesus' historic time. It wasn't the Jews who were struggling with Jesus because Jesus himself was a Jew and all the 12 disciples were Jewish and the women disciples were Jewish. It was the Jewish religious authorities that were having problems with Jesus because Jesus was breaking the religious laws. He knew what the laws were, but he broke them because they weren't sufficient to God's grace and God's love for all people. When Jesus would eat with sinners or tax collectors or prostitutes or lepers, he was basically saying these folks are forgiven because to eat with someone was to acknowledge a forgiven status. But these folks hadn't gone through the proper religious authority channels to get that permission slip that said, yes, they're now clean. Religious authorities in every age, including our own, are worried about who's in and who's out. And they spend an inordinate amount of time deciding who's acceptable to God and who's not acceptable to God. And whenever Jesus was confronted with those who were trying to decide and enforce who's clean and who is unclean, who is in and who is out, who is acceptable to God and who is unacceptable to God, Jesus either challenged the questioner, challenged the religious authority, or ignored the question altogether. And I'm sensing that in this day and age, at least within United Methodism, 
we're entering a season where many of us are considering doing the same thing. Religious authorities only power is fear. And the disciples were locked up in the room for fear because they saw what fear did to the people who crucified Jesus. And that same fear was saying to any followers of Jesus, we're looking for you too. And we're going to put you on a cross to make you an example of what happens to people who don't follow the rules. And Jesus went to his disciples who were afraid, and he said, peace be with you. Or as the ukulele orchestra and Bob Marley may have been encouraging us, don't worry about a thing, because everything's going to be all right. Then Jesus did something very strange, and he, I don't claim to understand this, but the scriptures say he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And with that Holy Spirit, you now have the power to forgive. Jesus must have known how hard it is to forgive and how we desperately need the strength and help and encouragement of the Holy Spirit if we're ever going to be successful or fruitful or faithful in forgiving those who have hurt us. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things Jesus calls us to do, but it may be the most important and perhaps the most misunderstood Forgiveness. Lewis Smedes dedicated his life to the teaching of forgiveness. His son was murdered. This was not some pie-in-the-sky concept to him. This was about his own freedom to live and to move past a great injustice. And Lewis Smedes says, when we forgive someone, we set the prisoner free and we realize the prisoner is us. It's not about those who have done something bad or hurtful. We can't control them. It's really about freeing ourselves from the baggage of hanging on to that resentment, hanging on to that desire for revenge, hanging on to that feeling like we are victims. Jesus wants to free us up from that. And forgiveness gives us our power back. Forgiveness is often also misunderstood as the same as reconciliation. Please hear me say this as clearly as I can. It is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation is when we work through our issues where we mutually come to terms with 
offenses made and received and deciding we're not going to do that anymore to each other and forgiving one another for those offenses. That takes a lot of work. That is a Christian goal. It is a noble goal. It is one that the world desperately needs. But forgiveness is a step towards that ultimate goal, and forgiveness is in each of our hands. So, if any of us are carrying around with us the baggage of anger that may be decades old, grudges that may be decades old, you can carry that around as long as you wish. But Jesus gave us power in the Holy Spirit to help us let it go. To forgive someone who may have hurt us, it doesn't give them permission to hurt us again. It doesn't justify what they did to us. It frees us up so that we can be in the flow of love and not stuck in resentment. Thomas wasn't there. When Jesus came that first time and breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know where Thomas was. I don't know why he wasn't there. But the scriptures are pretty clear. He wasn't there. And because he wasn't there, he didn't see the risen Christ and he didn't hear that message. And Jesus didn't breathe on him in that moment to empower him with the Holy Spirit that would help him with his own forgiveness issues. And he comes back later on and the disciples say, Thomas, you missed it. He was right here. And he said, not unless I put my fingers in his wounds and in his side, I will not believe. Poor Thomas, forever is known as the doubter. Wouldn't it be great to rename him questioning Thomas, as opposed to doubting Thomas? This isn't the first time that he was asking for more details. Do you remember when Jesus said, Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And you know where I'm going. And you know the way to the place where I am going. And it was Thomas who said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Anyone who knows this has access to know God as Father. Friends, 
in light of a synagogue being shut up again yesterday in San Diego. In light of a Christian, many Christian communities in Sri Lanka being bombed by Muslim fundamentalists. And Christian churches today saying to their Muslim neighbors, thank you for inviting us into your holy space so that we could worship. You know that's happening. Muslims, moderate Muslims, faithful Muslims are inviting Christians who have been bombed out of their churches to come and worship the living God in their mosque buildings in Sri Lanka. In light of the fact that this afternoon our youth are going up to Gloria Dei Lutheran Church for an interfaith dinner, and then we'll come back here. I, I hope we invite them to come back for some holy s'mores and jokes. In light of the fact that Tuesday we're going to have 120 people in Radha Hall, Jews, Muslims, Christians, having a meal together, talking about and hearing from refugees, many of them who are Muslim, many of whom have been wounded and their families killed because they were working with Americans in Iraq and in Afghanistan, and talking with people in Morris County who are helping these refugees settle here. In light of all that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, which has been misunderstood by so many Christians for so many years. We need to have a better theology that understands passages like that. Notice that Jesus is not saying, no one comes to God but by me. He says, no one comes to the Father but by me. If you want to know God as Abba, a tender father who cares for his children, then Jesus is the way to know that kind of God as dad. Jesus is not saying, no one comes to God but by me. People can know God in various ways, through various faith traditions. But the exclusivity that is part of our Christian heritage needs to be questioned. Thomas gives us permission to question even Jesus to find deeper answers. And Jesus knows we need help, which is why Jesus, in this first Pentecost story, breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Friends, whatever we're struggling with, a good prayer is one of the oldest prayers of the church. Come Holy Spirit. The early church said it in Latin. Veni Sancte Spiritus. Come, Holy Spirit. If you're struggling with a forgiveness issue, which most of us struggle with, maybe the prayer for us is, Come, Holy Spirit. If we're struggling with an old resentment or grudge or wound that we keep hanging on to because it gets our blood flowing, maybe we need to pray, Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe some of us are locked 
in a room of fear, and we don't know how to get out of it. And fear has sunk its talons into us, and it has stopped us in our tracks, stopped us from being in the flow of love, stopped us from trusting. Maybe we need to pray, come Holy Spirit, and unlock the doors of fear that have bound us for too long. Would you pray with me, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Let us pray that again. Come, Holy Spirit. Now let us pray, not from our heads, but from the depths of our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.